All right, all right, all right. Why don't you grab your seats? Uh, fun, couple fun announcements. Last Easter weekend, we had 20,290 people come to our services, which was just an unbelievable time all around the city. 20,290, not 289, not 291, 20,290 people heard the good news of Jesus. Last Good Friday was stunning, about 4,100 people in the room. And one cool update, New Life Midtown, those of you who've been tracking with that story, we had a building essentially given to us, a church that was going under, they were not able to pay their bills and and they wanted to keep it going. They, they talked to us, and over the course of just a handful of weeks, we did a church combination where New Life Midtown moved into that building and, and brought the strong congregation with them. On Easter Sunday, they had 920 people at New Life Midtown. Just unbelievable stuff. It's their third week in that building. So the Spirit of the Lord is doing a new thing. There's something happening in Colorado Springs. And this weekend, there is, there's an unprecedented thing happening at New Life Church. As of right now, we have 312 people signed up to get baptized this weekend at New Life Church. We've never had that happen in a weekend. 312 people. So people who are moaning and watching the news and arguing about this isn't happening and that, we're going to hell in a handbasket... Come to church this weekend and keep your eyes open and watch what the Spirit of the Lord is doing to rescue and to save and deliver and to strengthen people. Don't look now, but Jesus is going to get the kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven. Can you say amen tonight, church? If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1? Tonight we're doing a standalone baptism sermon. We just finished the Sermon on the Mount series and we're going to be opening up a series going through 1 John next week. But right here tonight on baptism night, I'm going to do a standalone sermon. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, what I'll do is I'll read you these first four verses from the Apostle Paul and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So quiet your hearts, throw your cell phones away, get your, get your minds ready to receive and hear the word of the Lord tonight. From the Apostle Paul, he says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels. The law is made for the ungodly and sinful. Look at this list the unholy and irreligious. For those who kill their fathers and mothers, Lord have mercy. The law is made for murderers. The law, he goes on to say, is for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord will stand firm forever. That's what the prophet said. And Lord, I pray that my words would be silenced tonight and that your word would sing in this place. Lord, you know that we need to hear from you. You know that we live in such a distracted age. 
You know that we live in a noisy world. You know that there are opinions flying around and people arguing and fighting. We just pray tonight that all of the noise would cease and that tonight in this place, the very word of God would be heard. Paul said, preach as if you're proclaiming the very oracles of God. I'm gonna give that a shot. I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna preach by faith. So Lord, I pray, may the words of my mouth The meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And may this congregation, we pray that we would hear from you. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we pray tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Paul, 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 the Apostle Paul, Saint Paul, Paul, the man, the myth, the legend, Paul. He wasn't always Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul and he was a real diva. He was was a... He was a difficult guy to be around, brilliant mind, the smartest man in any room that he came into. Uh, Some people suggest that he spoke up to seven languages, that he was fluent in three, Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, that Paul is a scholar's scholar. He would have been an attorney. He would have been trained at the greatest schools in his day. Paul was an absolute legend of an intellect. But Paul, when he was Saul, didn't have his heart right. He didn't understand what God was trying to do in the earth. He wasn't always Saint Paul. This week, Paul gets honest about his former life by picking up. We, we finished at verse 11. Here's verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. He's saying, I didn't deserve this. God was just merciful when he called me. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord for I was shown mercy. Can anyone else shout amen with Paul that I was shown mercy? Mercy. I thank God that I was shown mercy. Saul, before Jesus got a hold of him, was a religious scholar. He was a teacher. He was, like I said, the great intellect, but he was the one that was found carrying papers to go around to imprison those stupid believers who were following Jesus. These blasphemers, these ones who had, you know, the heretics, they'd walked away from the true faith. And so Saul was carrying papers from the authorities that he could go around. And any Christian that he found, he was able to arrest them. And he was even there, Acts chapter 7, read the end of the chapter. The day the first Christian martyr was killed, Stephen, was stoned to death. And Acts chapter 7 says that Saul was right there holding the coats of those who killed Stephen. He was complicit in murder. He was a part of the story. He was, he, Paul wasn't always a saint. He was a sinner and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord for I was shown mercy. No need to say anything here. You know, this will just be a short rhetorical flourish. But does anyone remember when they were impossibly stupid? <laughs> Like, you, you, you don't need to talk back to me. I'm not asking you to come, you know, take the microphone and tell every... But anyone ever do anything stupid? I'm going to keep on moving. Does anyone remember 
Any embarrassing moments? Does anyone not remember any embarrassing moments because you were too inebriated to remember those embarrassing moments? Anyone have a previous life? Does anyone have those BC days before Jesus got a hold of you like he knocked Saul off his horse, blinded him with a light? Saul, Saul, what are you doing? Wake up. Does anyone have a life pre-Jesus getting a hold of you like Saul did? Anyone do any hallucinogenic drugs and act a fool on a Saturday night? Does anyone, anyone here ever stolen or deceived anyone? Anyone here ever betrayed someone? Anyone here ever been blind with rage and, and you, you, were, you were on the edge of a violent rage like Saul was? Anyone ever carried papers thinking it was your job to make someone else's life miserable? Anyone ever lived here? Paul talks about murderers in this text and people who'd even killed their parents. How bad does it have to get? I mean, Paul says, yeah, welcome to the story. Anyone ever been trapped by the devil? <laughs> the gospel will hold no power for people who pretend to be sanitized saints. Tonight, it's okay in the presence of the Lord to just be honest. Like, let the scriptures read our hearts. We're reading the text, but when the scriptures are working rightly, they're reading us. Anyone, anyone have any memories? Or you can just be honest. The gospel will hold no power for people who are just, la, 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 la. I'm blessed and highly favored, and I'm just a good, I'm just a good decent person, and I live in suburbia, and I pay my bills on time. I don't care if you pay your bills on time. Did Jesus have to rescue you from anything? And Paul says, hey, before he got a hold of me, there was a lot that needed to be drowned in the waters of baptism and sent downstream. Has Jesus shown anyone in this place his unspeakable and incalculable mercy? I'm right there. Paul said, I didn't know what I was doing. I I acted in ignorance. I, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I was stupid and I was lost and I didn't know up from down. I thought all those people who were following Jesus deserved what they had coming to them. And I, I used to read the scriptures this way and I thought Jesus was, was an aberration to the story, not the fulfillment of the story, but Jesus got a hold of me. I, I acted foolishly. I didn't know what I was up to. I was lost in my sins. I thought I was on track, but I was actually gratifying my own malformed desires. Looking back, Paul says, I was in it for me. Looking back, I was borrowing God to make myself my own God. Looking back, I had no idea what I was doing. Jesus, on the cross, last week, Good Friday, we remembered these words where Jesus on the cross says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Paul said, yeah, I, I, he forgave me and I, I was shown mercy because I, I, I didn't know what I was up to. I'll say it this way, the people of God are growing in maturity when they learn to walk with a holy humility. Holy humility. Tonight, as we watch our friends get baptized, I can hardly think of anything that displays holy humility more than going under the waters of baptism. You're letting someone drown you in church. It's like, hi, uh, everyone else is in jeans. Why am I in shorts? Oh my gosh, this is a, pff, 
holy humility, like I am not my own God. I am not strong enough. I am not wise enough. I don't have enough working for me. I need some help from the outside. Holy humility. As we're growing in maturity, we will be growing in holy humility. What is the good news that Paul gives us? And what did Jesus come to do? Paul picks up in verse 15. We're just going to keep going in this text. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is very different than the preachers who get up on stage and act like they have it all together and they're kind of wagging the finger at everybody and they're shaming all the sinners for all the bad stuff they're doing on Saturday night before they come to church on Sunday. Have you ever been in those settings where it's like a preacher's just coming at you and it's like they've never done anything wrong? Paul is the exact opposite. He says, God's come to save sinners of whom I am the very worst. Paul humbles himself in this moment. He lays his life down. He said, I needed Jesus more than any of y'all needed Jesus. The people of God, as they're growing in maturity, will be learning to walk with holy humility. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, John says, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning for this, but he, here's the good news, for this purpose, He's getting ready to show us why Jesus came. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Right before the service at six o'clock, we gathered in this room right outside that door and the, the 32 baptism candidates, about 10 of them just gave quick little updates of testimonies of what the Lord has done. And you wouldn't believe just how God is saving people right and left. I wish you could have heard the way Jesus has been merciful. I wish you could have heard the way Jesus went out and left the 99 to go get these ones and bring them out of darkness into marvelous light. And, and John says, for this purpose was the Son of God, Jesus Christ, manifest. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. As we watch people go under the waters of baptism tonight, what you're going to see is the works of the devil rolling off of people. You're crucified with Christ and you come up in resurrection life and all that old story is being drowned away. Have I told you, I've, some of you have been around here. One of my favorite baptism stories, I, I've been in church my whole life, 40 years. I've been a pastor here 18 years. One of my favorite stories is right there in that tank on a Friday night like this, the guy got in. He's sitting in the water and he looks up at me. He goes, okay, here's what you're going to do for me. And I was like, wait a second, I'm, in, I'm leading. I, the, I'm, wh Here's what you're gonna do for me. He said, I'm gonna go into the water, you're gonna put me under, and I want you to hold me there for a long time. <laughs> he said, I'll pinch your arm when I want you to bring me up, and you'll think I'm on the verge of death, but I, I'm gonna pinch your arm. Don't bring me up until I, until I pinch your arm because there's a lot of stuff that Jesus has gotta wash away tonight. <laughs> <laughs> For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Friends, as we watch this happen tonight, every single person that gets baptized is a miracle happening right in front of your eyes. People say, I want to see the book of Acts. I want to see, see the miraculous. You're going to see the book of Acts tonight. 
You're gonna see the miraculous tonight. You're gonna see people go down into the death of Jesus like we celebrated last Friday and come up with Easter Sunday resurrection power to live a new way tonight. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Friends, tonight, Jesus is here to wash you clean of your sins. This is what God came to do. I'll say it this way, forgiveness and salvation and renewal and restoration are the work of the kingdom of God. Some of you think you've gone too far. Some of you think you're the person that's, if you just knew my story, all these other nice people out here, yes, Jesus loves them, but I just, I went over to the edge and I jumped off and I'm only here tonight because my friend's getting baptized and they wanted me to come, but I don't even feel like I belong in this place. I'm here to tell you that you are the reason Jesus came. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest so that he might destroy the works of the devil that have bound you. Forgiveness and salvation and healing and redemption and restoration are the work of the kingdom of God. Can you say amen tonight? We talk about holy humility and I want you to see that in the gospels, Jesus never turned anyone away who came to him with honest humility. Not one Person. There, are, there are a few people that you read about in the Gospels who came to Jesus and Jesus said, welcome. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and sell all you have and give to the poor. And there's, that, that's not a universal rule that Jesus wants everyone to do every time they come to him. But this guy, the rich young ruler, was bound in his uh, acquisitiveness. His possessions had him. He didn't have his possessions. And so Jesus says, hey, here's what you need. He looked at him and he loved him. And he said, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And it says that the rich young ruler loved his stuff so much that he walked away from Jesus with his head down because he had many possessions. Jesus never turned anyone away who came to him with holy humility. But there are plenty of people who walked away from Jesus. But I'm saying to you, if, if you had a child, that had majorly messed up, if you had a child that had made life difficult for you, if you had a child that was way out in the far country and you'd been praying for them for years, and if your child came back, just all of a sudden unexpectedly walked into your house and fell on their knees and said, I am so sorry, please take me back. You know what you would not do? You would not send them away. You would not do it. And anyone who comes to Jesus with honest humility, he goes, welcome home. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've been waiting for you. Kill the fattened calf. Here's a robe. Here's a ring. Here's sandals for your feet. Let's get the party going because my son who was lost has been found. The child that was dead is now alive. Let's party. Anyone who comes to God with honest humility will never be turned away. If you've, if you've thrown your life away, if you've blown it all up, if you've played the fool, if you've been stupid, thank God we serve a God who receives us when we come home to him. Friends, if that's you tonight, the enemy wants you to carry shame and he wants you to think that God is gonna reject you and send you away and make you feel like an idiot. And I'm here tonight to tell you God has never once in his existence turned away someone who comes to him with humility. God opposes the, but he gives grace to the humble. Friends, Saul, who became Paul, knew what it was like to live 
in pride, but there was that one great day when Jesus got a hold of him and he responded with humility. And I'll tell you, God's, the currency of God's kingdom is a currency of humility. Tonight, come home to Jesus. John six thirty seven. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. But the gospel story gets better tonight. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, he says, along with the faith and love. So he says, grace, grace, I needed grace, I needed grace. Oh, I was such a fool and I acted ignorantly and I made so many people pay the bill for my stupidity and so many, I, I was a part of murders. I needed grace, but he says, God doesn't just stop with grace. Grace was given to me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus, along with the faith and the love. I was stupid and I needed grace, but I didn't just get grace, he also gave me faith. <laughs> it's one thing to be forgiven, but then to sort of live with your head down, feeling like a fool for the rest of your life, and you're just kind of sitting on the corner of every family meal, and you don't actually believe you belong, and, and, and your, your, your parent might make you pay the price for all those sins of the past. It's one thing to get grace, it's another thing to get faith. <laughs> where you like walk into the room and you actually believe that you belong at the family meal? Where you walk into the room and you actually believe that all those sins have been washed away and that the people that are around you are not hanging it over your head and trying to make you feel like the fool that you were? Like, yes, grace, but Paul says, I also got faith. Faith that the future could be different. Faith that I could be different. Faith and boldness that I could actually contribute to God's work on the earth. And the apostle that maybe did more for the message of Jesus in the first century than anybody else also considered himself to have formerly been the worst sinner around. How do you go from murdering people to writing two-thirds of the New Testament? Yes, you get grace, but you can't, you can't just do that with grace. You've got to do that with faith in your bones, <laughs> Faith running through your bloodstream. Paul says, God redeemed me and he gave me grace, but he also made me strong and he gave me faith that I could contribute to the kingdom work. And I'll just say to you tonight, do you know that there is nobody that is beyond the reach of redemption? Who have you given up on? Put them back on the prayer list. Because if, if, if God didn't give up on Paul, I don't think he gave up on your friend. I don't think he gave up on you. He doesn't just give us grace, but he also gives us faith. God, do you know that he's playing the long game with us? Praise God, he plays the long game. Who have you written off tonight? God has not written them off. He, he has given them grace, and he's also got faith for them. And some of you need that same faith restored to you tonight, that God is for you that God is crazy about you, that you won't always have to be stuck in your old story. And I'll say it this way. Some of you have been bound to a false belief that your life will never amount to more than your most embarrassing moment. Come on, y'all, you're acting like you're Baptist or something. I need you to talk to me tonight, okay? I'm kidding, I love the Baptist. I, you know, forgive me for that. But just talk to me. Talk to me. It's hard enough to do, let alone doing it by yourself, all right? I need that black church anointing. Come on, Jordan, you better talk to me. Okay, some of you do not think that your life will ever be able to recover above the level of your very most embarrassing moment. 
You think that your most embarrassing moment is your new ceiling. And I'm saying your most embarrassing moment is the floor that Jesus begins to rebuild your life on and there's no limit to what he can do with anyone who comes to him with honest humility. Thank you. Good God Almighty, where you been? I've been preaching like this for 20 minutes. It took you 20 minutes. I'll give you one of those a year, all right? Let me say this. For those of you who believe that your life will never amount to more than your most embarrassing moment, tonight is the night to break your ungodly agreement with that belief. It can be true, but if you've made an ungodly agreement that your life will never rise above your very worst moment, you're stuck there. Jesus can put food on the table, but it doesn't mean we eat it. The pantry can be full and you can die of starvation. So tonight, some of you go, you know what? I do remember that worst moment of my life, the most embarrassing moment. I went to court over that thing. I went bankrupt over that thing. I went to jail over that thing. That thing is always on my record. You know what, in heaven, (laughs) you know, like we, we serve the God who just like tears stuff up. Like some of you need to break your agreement, your ungodly agreement with that belief that you will never rise above your very worst moment. Paul says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith. Tonight's the night to get your faith back. It's here. It's not just grace. Yes, it's grace. Praise God for grace. But if you go home just receiving grace and you don't go home with faith, you missed something. Tonight there's faith that God has more for you, that he can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond, that God can take a bunch of losers like us and turn us into kings and queens in the kingdom of God. Tonight you need to get your faith back. He gave me grace, he gave me faith, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the love. Along with the love. So many of us are fine with a God that forgives, but very few of us actually believe in a God that loves. He owes you, he's gotta forgive us. Uh, you know, he's bound to his word. If you repent, if you confess with your mouth, he's gotta, he's gotta cancel hell, but he's not happy. If that's God, I don't want to worship him. If that's God, I don't want to spend eternity with him. But if God is love, let's go. (laughs) If God is the God who gives us grace and he washes our sins away and he raises us up, let's go. If God is the God who also gives us faith to believe for a new future and we've got power and we're rising above that old story and we're new faith, but also love, like he gave me grace and he gave me faith And he gave me his love. And in our world of deep hatred, maybe the good news of the gospel needs to be recovered that God is love. 
that God is joyful, that God is a constant ecstatic celebration of unbroken love, that God is a party that is always happening and we can either get caught up into it or we can just forget that it's real. But guys, God is love and he's the one who forgives us and he's the one who restores us and he's the one who receives us. Think about the prodigal son that I referenced earlier. The father did not run out from his porch to shame the boy. He came out with a robe, which means he had it ready. You don't run from the porch and accidentally have a ring and have sandals and have a fattened calf in the stall ready to go and the servants who are ready to make it. You don't do that accidentally. That father was dying for that day to happen. And he's dying for that day to happen with you. This is the God of love. Friends, tonight, I want you to hear the good news of the gospel. Paul says it. I was the chief of sinners. Why would God ever turn a murderer into the greatest apostle in church history? Because he's the God who can do whatever he wants and he's happy. He gave me grace and he gave me faith and he gave me love. And friends, tonight I'm here to tell you God didn't just do that for Paul. He does it for you. He does it for me. Will we receive it? The dinner's on the table, will we eat? The pantry is full. If we die of starvation, it's a self-inflicted wound. The God of grace, the God of faith, the God of love has his arms outstretched tonight and you're gonna see 32 miracles tonight. And I pray and I know that there are many more happening throughout this room, friends, tonight. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, your past cannot be against you. If God is for you, your own mental story of who you are cannot be against you. If God is for you, he's the God who turns the very most embarrassing thing you, you did into the ground that you stand on to tell that story to the world. It becomes your testimony, it becomes your witness. God is for us tonight. He gave us grace, he gave us faith, he gave us love. And this is the good news of the gospel. Can you say amen tonight, church? Now what I want to do is to call up all of our baptismal candidates. And before they stand up and come, I want you to know what this has taken them to do. The process that the Lord has had them in, it's been a miraculous process. To come and do this, there are little children who are gonna come up here and stand in front of 70-year-olds tonight and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. You know what that costs a little kid to do? So tonight, this is not a spectator sport and you don't get to mail it in while 32 other people do the work, okay? They're coming to say, I've decided to follow Jesus and I want you to bring your faith into this moment and I want you to speak blessing and I want you to be their biggest fans tonight. So tonight, all the baptism candidates, would you stand and would you come to the stage and New Life Friday night, would you give it up for our friends tonight? What's up, my guy? Get over here, bro. I love you. Yes. Come on. Come on, bro. Get over here. Here, go right out to the front, okay? Welcome. Come on, man. Come on, church. Come on, church. Give it up. You can, you can go down to the front. 
Press on up to the front, kids. Press on up. I want everyone to... Got five cadets back here. Is that right? Five cadets. Stallions. Six cadets. Six cadets. And I'm telling you, I heard 10 of these stories tonight in the pre-service meeting, and there wasn't a dry eye in the room. What God has done right here. And all of you, we are so proud of you. We can't believe that we get to be witnesses tonight to the miracle that God is doing in your life. This is a beautiful thing. And tonight, you feel the strength of this room. Do you feel loved? Do you feel that you're not alone? This is not embarrassing. These people are for you. God is for you. The church is for you. And we are honored to celebrate with you tonight. So what's going to happen is I'm going to ask you four questions. We've talked about this. But these four questions, church, some of you are new to the story. It comes right out of the Nicene Creed that was drafted in 325 AD. But we have texts. We have like papyrus where these words were etched out on these scrolls from at least 100 AD. These questions have been being asked of baptismal candidates since at least 100 AD and probably just right after the resurrection of Jesus. So what I want you to hear tonight is you're not making this up. You're a part of an ancient story of every tribe and every tongue and every nation, languages all over the globe, people Two billion believers in Jesus on planet earth today have said these words and today you're making proclamation with your brothers and sisters all over the world that I've decided to follow Jesus and I'm a part of the big body of Christ that is the largest global family on planet earth. So tonight I'm gonna ask you four questions straight out of the Nicene Creed. I'm gonna go to the congregation here today and stand as a member of the congregation and you're looking at them you're, you're confessing before the Lord, but you're looking at your brothers and sisters. And so let me ask you the first question tonight. And then at the end, I'll ask you if you believe this. The first question is, do you, all of you baptism candidates on the stage, do you believe in God the Father, that he is the almighty and that he is the maker of heaven and earth? If so, please say, I do. Can you give it up for them tonight? We're going to go question by question. Second question, and this is the long one, so just buckle up, all right? Do you believe in Christ Jesus? That he's the only son of God, that Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father, that he is true God from true God? Do you believe that Jesus is begotten of his father, that he wasn't made later, that he's eternal, that he's of one being with the father? And do you believe that Jesus is the one through whom all things were made? Do you believe that Jesus came down from heaven, that he was born of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary, and that he was actually made man? Do you believe that Jesus was crucified, that he died, that he rose again at the third day? Do you believe that Jesus is the living one from among the dead? Do you believe that he died and that he was raised? That he ascended unto heaven and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father? And do you believe that Jesus will come again in glory one day to judge the living and the dead? If you believe in this Jesus Christ, say, I do. do. Would you give it up for them tonight, (laughs) believing in Jesus?
Question number three. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father? Now, let me just kind of drill down a little bit deeper because we have so many kids. The Holy Spirit. Scripture says, I get so emotional because like this is why we get out of bed in the morning to see this happen. Jesus is getting his work done. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? The scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God's spirit lives in us. It gives us strength to follow him. Do you believe that God hasn't abandoned you but he's lived in you. He's chosen to make his home in you. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, that he's the giver of life and that the Father sent him? If you believe in this Holy Spirit, please say, I do. I do. Church. Fourth and final question. Do you believe in them? Do you believe in the church? And not just them, yes, them, the local church, but also the church universal that I told you about. That in China right now, people are following Jesus and it's costly. That in Africa right now, people are following Jesus and it's costly. In, in Asia, all over the world, there are people following Jesus and it's costing them to follow Jesus. Do you believe in the holy church? Do you believe in the forgiveness of your sins? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? That anyone who has died in Jesus Christ, when he returns, they're gonna be raised to new life. Do you believe in that? And do you believe in the life of the world to come, eternal life? If so, please say, I do. I do. One last time, give it up to him. It's about as moving as it gets. And now they have made proclamation to you and to the Lord. And now I want you to stretch out your hands and make proclamation over them. Right now, before we pray as a congregation, I want you to pray. And some of you are like, I don't really know what to do. Just say, I bless you in Jesus' name. I speak peace over you in Jesus' name. I speak long life and blessing over you in Jesus' name. I speak God's favor over you. Come on, release your blessing right now, the unique blessing that is in you to give. Give it to these people right now. Do you hear how loved you are, church? you hear how loved you are? Lord, tonight we pray for every single one of these baptism candidates. And we pray, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. Let them know how loved they are, Lord. Let them know how crazy about them you are, Lord. Jesus said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I pray down to the depths of your being, you would know that you're never alone. I pray down to the depths of your being, you would know that you are always loved. I pray down to the depths of your being that you would be confident 
that he's not just the God who gives you grace, but he's also the God who gives you faith and love, that he's crazy about you. Lord, I pray that these ones would know who they are in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that their identity would be sealed in you. And we rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. Come on, church, right now. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so we say fullness of life in Jesus' name. We rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. You have no authority here anymore. These ones have been claimed for the kingdom by the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we lay hands on them and we say yes. Right now, amen just means yes. Can you say yes to the plans that God has for all of these? Brothers and sisters, we say yes for their plans, for their future. We say yes, Lord, that they would know how much you're crazy about them. Lord, we pray that they would know what you want them to do with their lives. We pray, Lord, that you would roll out the red carpet in front of them and lead them in the way of everlasting life. We pray, Lord, that they would have all the provision that they need, that they would never lack anything. Lord, we pray for health in their bodies. Come on, church, pray. Health in their bodies. Fullness of life. Lord, we pray for soundness of mind. That the mind of Christ would carry them forward into the future. And Lord, we pray that everything they touch would prosper. Everything they touch would prosper. And Lord, we pray that you would make them missionaries, that everywhere they go, the good news of Jesus would be proclaimed, that everywhere they go, people will be called out of darkness and into marvelous light, that everywhere they go, Lord, the kingdom of God would break out. And so we as a congregation, we pray over them and we pray right now, Lord, bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them and grant them peace tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people gave it a big hearty amen. Okay. So, here's what's gonna happen. You candidates, go down those steps right there and get in line at the baptismal tank. We brought in our elementary students this is one of my favorite things. Friday night knows how to throw a baptism party, okay? So we brought all the kids down, the, the elementary kids, not the ones in diapers. We're gonna make it easy. But the, the, the kids are coming up on the stage and they're gonna be screaming at every single baptism. We're gonna have it up on the screen. So everyone who's getting baptized, we're gonna worship the Lord. So we're gonna sing songs, it'll be on the screen. And every time someone goes down and comes up, I want the room to roar, okay? So let's worship Jesus together, let's celebrate together, and let's participate watching these miracles tonight. In Jesus' name, let's worship.